Thanks. Um, and again, I, I think they probably just mentioned it, but if, if you missed it, this is, total, this is not like a mandatory thing. Um, naturally, we, we would love for everyone to, to participate um, in it. It's completely anonymous. Um, and as they said, this is really just uh, one of the ways we want to practically, like, how, how can we be a healthy church, holistically speaking, and not somehow, like, partition out, like, well, we've got our spiritual stuff and we've got our emotional stuff. Like, when we read the scriptures, we're, we're, it's, there's an integrated sort of discipleship going on here. Um, and so when we do an, a, a mental health and well-being survey, it's just a practical way of saying, okay, where are we at? And then as we look to God's word, uh, what, what perhaps, what questions should we be asking or, or maybe which portions of God's word would be especially helpful for us as a young congregation that wants to, to follow Jesus with all of our being, um, mind, body, soul, etc. So um, yeah, feel free to do that. We'll promote it a couple more times. We'll run it till the end of March. And so we're going to give everyone plenty of reminders to do that. Okay, guys, we're going to jump into the book of Mark. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can grab it, open it, turn it on. If you'd like to grab one of the NIV paperbacks out of the boxes in the aisle, you're very welcome to use one of ours for the morning. But we're going to be going to Mark chapter 6. We'll be continuing Mark chapter 6. And in fact, this is the continuation of our study through the book of Mark that we've entitled Mightier Than I. We're, we're looking at King Jesus who is the mighty one, come to establish his kingdom, to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and establish God's good kingdom, his kingdom of light and life. Um, so it's been a pretty exciting sermon series so far, in my opinion. Anyone got my back there? Okay, great. I just, just need affirmation. Um, so we're going to go to Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Um, go back one slide real quick, please. Um, let me just give a little bit of context, because we're actually we're skipping just a little bit, so I want to provide some of the context. But last week, um, we looked at the passage where uh, Jesus was... Um, what did we do last week? I'm sorry, I'm actually like having a, like a total brain fart right now. Hang on. Thank you. Yeah, it was a doozy. Okay. Uh, yeah, so last week we looked at how um, Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. Thank you. And his family, they, they recognized the wisdom that he exhibited in his teachings. They, they recognized the, the miracles. And yet, this was the Jesus that had, they had watched grow up. And it said their family... His family, not necessarily his mom, but his family and hometown neighbors and relatives, they were offended. And it was as if they simply refused to believe that Jesus was, in fact, who he said to be. And, and so they were offended, and it said that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Now, from there, they left, and uh, Jesus sent out his disciples, his 12 apostles, he sent them out in pairs. He sent them to the surrounding villages. And he said, I want you to go and begin to teach. Preach to the people that the kingdom of God is, is, has, has come. It's coming. And you need to, to turn 
Turn from whatever life you've been living, whatever king you've been aligned with, and prepare yourself to enter into God's kingdom, which he is inaugurating now. The king has come, repent and believe. And it said that he gave them authority to, to heal people and to cast out demons. So this is not just a kingdom in theory. This is not just a new ideology that Jesus is, is wanting to propagate. He's saying, no, the kingdom is really coming. It's touching down. People's lives are actually going to be affected. People will be healed. People will be set free. So they go out and they come back and they, they give a good report. They're like, Jesus, this, it was amazing. It worked. And Jesus is right. Well done. Now let's, let's get away. Let's take a break. So he says, come with me to a desolate place to, to rest. So they do. Um, they end up going someplace and somehow the crowd finds out that they're, they're trying to get away. And so they, they head them off and they, they show up at the place, wherever they were, the desolate place. And there's a crowd there, thousands, over 5,000 people found them and were waiting for Jesus. And it said that Jesus saw the crowd and he wasn't annoyed. He was compassionate. He felt compassion so he began to teach the people. And uh, apparently he taught all day. And the sun was about to set. And his disciples went to him and said, Jesus, tell the people to, to go to the surrounding villages. And they, they've got to get some food for themselves. We're out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing to eat. And Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And of course his disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, we don't have enough money. What do you? And they're confused. And... He says, right, what, what, what do you have? What do you have? And they go check, and they manage to scrounge up five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, all right, fine, give them to me. He prays, he blesses them, and he tells his disciples to have all of the people sit down in groups of 50s and 100s on the green grass and begin to, to distribute the bread and the fish. And every single person, it says there was over 5,000, 5,000 men, over 5,000 people there, and they were all fed, and they had leftovers. This is, this is a miracle. This is one of these like, bits of the New Testament. You're like, mm, this, is, this is 21st century modern mind struggling in this moment. This is King Jesus. This is the mightier one who... Who feeds people. Then he says, right, we've, we've really got to take a break. So he's, he turns to his disciples once again. He says, get in the boat and uh, go to the other side. Uh, I will meet you there and we'll, we'll finally get our rest. And this is where we pick up in chapter 6, verse 45. Here we go. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after that, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, around 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, 
take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. They did not understand about the loaves, the five loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Can you just bring me down a little bit, Alexandra? It's kind of ringing a little bit. Thank you. What a bizarre passage. Let's just kind of say that right up front. Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, dismisses his disciples. It says that he makes them get into the boat. Presumably, he's like, just commands them, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you there. Jesus doesn't go with them. He goes up the mountain to pray, to be with his heavenly father um, after he dismisses the crowd. He's watching his disciples. Jesus apparently is praying into the night. There must have been a full moon, I guess. He can see his disciples struggling out in the middle of the lake, painfully making headway, for the wind was against them. And so Jesus comes down, and he begins to come to them over the water. It says that he meant to pass them by which is the part that really kind of throws me off. Like, what? Why? He's walking by. It looks like he's about to pass by. Maybe he wanted them to think he was just going to walk. Maybe he was giving them the opportunity to, to notice, to, to allow them to respond versus just like magically te- teleporting into the boat or whatever. Um, they do see him. And of course, they, I mean, they think it's a ghost or something. Who walks on water? They're terrified. They cry out. Jesus responds and he says, Take heart. It's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. He gets in the boat. The wind ceases. And they were utterly astounded. But they had no idea what was going on. It says that they didn't understand about the loaves. Okay? That perhaps takes some explaining. They were astounded because they didn't understand. They didn't connect the dots. They, they didn't understand what had just happened before they, they left the shore and proceeded to, to work their way across the deep. Their hearts were hardened. What do, what do we make of this? I, I, would, I would say right up front, I would argue that this is one of the few places that the, the writer here of the Gospel of Mark is, he's really not just giving us details about a fairly random and odd event, but he's wanting to draw us into an experience say something to us um, spiritually, theologically about about the nature of of how disciples of Jesus are meant to to relate to and understand and trust and obey and follow Jesus. And it's like we're being invited into this experience. And, And God wants to show us something about what it really looks like, what it feels like 
to trust him and go on a journey with Jesus. So let me, let me, make, let me highlight a few things that I think are, 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 are pretty clear about what, what Mark is wanting us to understand. Uh, the first one is simply this. If you want to follow Jesus, eventually he's going to make you get into a boat. If you truly, genuinely, honestly want to be a disciple of Jesus, trust him and obey him, those two things always go together, eventually he's going to say, right, get into the boat and cross the water. It's, it's time to go on a journey. I'm, you're going to experience something that's going to shake you. It's going to require you making a willful decision. It's going to even require you picking up the oars across this water. Um, I have a boat. Anyone have a boat? No, I'm not asking like because I want to borrow it. Like, <laughs> who's got a boat? Who's got a truck in the room? Don't ever, ever admit you have a truck. Someone gave me a boat um, several months ago. It was super random. A little rowboat. I got a boat. Here's my boat story. Here's, here's, this is an illustration. So I was here on a Tuesday morning. We pray every Tuesday at 6 a.m. And uh, we pray with people from Door of Hope, some other churches as well. It's, it's quite a beautiful thing. Um, and there's a few of us who get in these little circles. And one of the guys, right in the middle of our little prayer session, he looks up. And this is not a prayer. But he looks up and he says, Simon. And I look up and I open my eyes. And he says, do you want a boat? It's like the most random thing ever. And initially I thought, oh, this is going to be like some sort of like prophetic thing or something. Like, and it wasn't at all. It was like. He was just, for whatever reason, decided right then and there in that moment, he needs to interrupt our little prayer moment and offer me a rowboat. Um, and naturally, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love a boat. <laughs> so I went over to his house that afternoon. This is a few months ago. And uh, I got this little rowboat. It was all moldy and you know, mossy and whatnot, obviously not been used in ages. But I thought, how cool. I'll get a little rowboat and you know, I'll take my kids out fishing or something. Um, so I got this boat and cleaned it, uh, painted. I, I bought some boat paint. Apparently that's a thing. Uh, sanded it a little bit, painted this thing. I took off the wood bits on the back that was like all decayed. Bought some new wood, cut it out, stained it, waterproofed it, screwed it back on. Got the oars. It's, it's this really cool little rowboat. I've never, ever, ever used the boat. It's been like... Spring passed, it started getting cold. This summer, for sure, I'm going to take my little rowboat out. So here, here's, the, here's the point. Here's the, a lot of us say yes to Jesus. A lot of us will say, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love a boat. But here's the thing. Eventually, Jesus is going to ask us to get into the boat. And he's going to tell us to go someplace that might be really hard. He's going to tell us to traverse the deep, which in Bible speak always has to do with like some sort of chaos or challenge or darkness. And Jesus is going to, he's going to give us the opportunity to participate in his kingdom advancement work 
And he's going to say, right, enough just listening and nodding and kind of sitting in the crowd. Your turn to get in the boat and traverse the deep. This is what's happening. And guys, honestly, like I I say that as as, like, that's really good news. Because I don't know about you, but I, I didn't sign up to follow Jesus just so I could like sit in a chair and like hear Bible stories for the next 40 years. I love Bible stories. I love the Bible. Super important. Don't get me wrong. But eventually it's, it's about hearing and doing what Jesus is teaching us. That's where the action's at. That's not like a burden per se. Maybe it could be, but that's, man, that's like good news. Jesus wants to give us the opportunity to participate and uh, it, it's usually pr- a pretty intense sort of participation. Verse 48 says that they were making painful headway. The NIV says that they were straining at the oars. They were straining at the oars. Now here's the bit about the, the, the story that seems slightly uh, contradictory, weird, ironic. Jesus told them to get into the boat Uh, He didn't get in the boat with them, which we'll kind of come back to in a second. Um, He told them to get in the boat. He ascended the mountain to commune with his father and then proceeded to watch them struggle along. What is that? What is that? If you get in the boat, if you you have the, uh, the audacity to obey Jesus and go where he tells you to go, to, to do what he tells you to do, to live how he tells you to live, here's what's gonna happen. You'll eventually get to a point in that process, that journey where you realize, I may not have what it takes to pull this off. I may not have enough to get all the way across this deep, dark water to the other side. And you, well, you may, you, I would say definitely will find yourself straining at the oars. You will eventually, if you are truly following Jesus, loving the way he has commanded us to love, forgiving people the way he has forgiven us, giving the way he has so generously given to us, eventually realize that God has asked me to do something that I don't actually have the capacity to pull off. He's asking me to give more than I've got. He's asking me to go places that I don't know I'm able to actually follow through with. He is commanding me to live in a way that's causing me to come to the very end of myself. And in that moment, you may feel as if you are straining at the oars. Or you mean, you're just paddling. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a boat where you're like trying to let go against the current? You're just like, I, I, I think I'm moving backwards. I'm trying to move forward. If I think I'm moving backwards. That's straining at the oars. That's called coming to the end of yourself. And this is so important. This is so important. Because guys... Um, how can I say this without sounding uh, judgmental? Or, but there's a lot of uh, uh, Christian churches, teachings, stuff out there 
that sound something like this. Um, God loves you, and he's got a great plan for your life, and you can do it. You, you got what it takes because you're awesome, and you just put your mind to it, and whatever you need, you just, just, you just got to tap into it. Just, just look inside. And that's sort of what I would describe as kind of a self-help, self-help version of Christianity. Um, not, not really it. Actually, totally not it. Um, the gospel, the story of the Bible, it, 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 what it does is present to us person after person after person, human after human after human, who attempts to follow God and then realizes like, oh, I'm not God. I don't think I can pull this off. I, I'm trying really, really hard and it would seem I'm coming to the end of myself. I'm weak. I don't know if I have what it takes. Now that can sound like bad news. It's not. It's a really, really good news. Um, because if you have been conditioned to believe that you just simply have everything you need, you have what it takes, because you're just really that awesome. Um, guys, that's an incredible amount of pressure to, to carry throughout life. It would seem, if, if you watch the internet at all, you guys know about that? There's these like exceptional human beings out there who just like have like superpowers to build empires and to, to be awesome and to like do everything that I, I try to do, but I, it's just like I can't. And there is this pressure to think, well, no, but here's, here's the problem. You're not doing the steps right. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing the religion right. You're not, you're not trying hard enough. You're not being good enough. And if you just try harder and be better um, or whatever, then, then you can be awesome too. Uh, buy my book. And that's, we'll, we'll sort you out. Buy my book, sign up for my seminar, and you can be awesome like me. There's, there is some truth to that. I'm not, books are great, learning how to be better, working, that's wonderful, that's all good. But when you sort of mix that or twist that up with the message of the gospel, you you lose the essence of, of who Jesus is, what he has come to do for us. The story of the Bible is that humanity is not the solution to humanity's problem. I am not my savior. I've tried a lot, like the first half of my life I tried. And eventually I realized I need a savior. I'm weak. I'm, I fail. I want to love well. I want to do good. I, I desire at some level to, to be a, an upright, moral, um, good citizen and all of that, successful, wonderful. 
but I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm lacking. I feel like I'm weak. I feel like I need my maker to, to help me, to rescue me, to give me a new life. And he does. He does. And he doesn't just stand off at a distance waiting for me to like get to the other side. He comes to me. He comes to me. Verse 49. It says, Jesus went up the mountain to pray. Now, I love, I love what Mark does here. This is so, so subtle and beautiful and clever. Jesus ascends to be with his father. He ascends the mountain to be present with his father. This is just like Moses ascending the mountain where the manifestation of God's presence uh, manifests. Jesus is ascending the mountain to be with his father. And then along comes Jesus across the water. Now, if, if you're like a first century Jewish Torah nerd, you would just be like, ding, ding, ding. Like, oh, I know this story. I, I know this one. I, I think this is Genesis chapter one. Um, let's, let me just flip. The, you don't need to go there, but let me, let me read this to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's, that's the chaos of the deep. And the Spirit of God came hovering over the face of the waters. This is Mark's foreshadowing of, well, it's, a, it's Genesis 1, but it's also a foreshadowing of Acts chapter 1, where Jesus, post-resurrection, meets with his disciples, and he said, wait here, after I ascend, to be reunited with my Father, another will come, the Holy Spirit, who will empower you to be my witnesses. This is, this is Mark's sort of like early days theology of the Spirit. This is a little wink to us 21st century Christians if you want to follow Jesus, he's going to tell you to get into the boat. Once you get about halfway across the deep, you're going to realize you do not have what it takes to finish this journey. But the Son ascends to be with the Father, and he sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who comes hovering over the water to empower us to be his disciples, to do what he's created us to do, to be who he has saved us to become. Why were they so afraid? Let's ask that question. It says that they were afraid. I, I believe the NIV translation says that they were terrified. Uh, they thought he was a ghost, which is ironic because it's the, it's, it's the spirit, it's that same word. Uh, Numa, 
It's the Holy Spirit. They didn't recognize it, which to be fair, I, I reckon none of us would really have any idea what was going on. It's easy, easier for us to realize, of course Jesus walked on the water. Come on, it's Jesus. No, we would have been freaking out as well. But beyond the fact that it would have just been this like surreal moment, 3 a.m., I don't know how you guys feel about like deep, dark water. No, no one's into that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see this like, this sort of, I don't know, this apparition, this person, this thing you can't quite make out coming out of the darkness across the water. You're freaking out. They're terrified. But like the rest of the story, I think there's more going on than just like the obvious. Why are they terrified? And let me ask it like this. Why do we get so terrified in the presence of God? Let's ask it that way. Well, I would say there were a couple things at least. Number one, um, again, just, just thumb through the pages of scripture Anytime someone has some like very real sort of up close encounter with God, whether it's Moses on the mountain or one of the prophets, um, it's always abject terror. It's, it's like I'm getting face to face with the sun. It's just, it's just overwhelming. It's, the power is so awesome. The holiness is so overwhelming that I mean, the logical emotion, I would argue, like the non-psychotic emotion would be to simply acknowledge the fact that I am in the presence of pure, terrifying, awesome, holy God. You should probably just like bow your head in that moment. Yeah. But there's something else going on. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they rebelled against God in the garden. You guys remember that story of the Garden of Eden? It said they hid from God. In fact, when God approaches Adam and, and he's questioning him, he's, he's kind of drawing him out. I love that when, when, when man and woman rebel, God comes searching. And he starts to ask them questions. Who said this to you? Why, why are you doing this? And he's, he's giving them opportunities to confess their sin. Of course, they don't, um, like us. And we, we see this picture of Adam, and he says, I was naked and ashamed, so I hid. What happens when God comes into a dark place? Light. Let's, let's just look at, let's, let's read one more verse in Genesis. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. You know what's terrifying about being in the presence of God? Is that in a moment, you and I are utterly exposed. Whatever was dark and hidden is brought to light. Being known is terrifying. It's terrifying. Being known by another human is terrifying enough. 
You know what I mean by that? What if someone found out what you were really like? What if someone knew who you really were? What if someone was there and you didn't realize it and they saw you go into that strip club? You didn't realize anyone saw that. What if all of a sudden everyone here knew who you really were? Oh my goodness. We'll do anything and everything in our power to keep from being truly known. We will hide, we will cover up, because being known is terrifying. Now, I, I understand I'm, I'm, I'm taking some, some liberties here, but I think, it's, I think it's important, I think it's true. Coming into the presence of God is terrifying because being known is terrifying. And good. And good. Verse 51, Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And what did he do? He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. You know what the key to overcoming fear is? What the key to overcoming fear is? This, this one's worth writing down. It is the witness of the mightier one. The key to overcoming fear isn't acquiring new moral principles that you might, may or may not master in your life. The key to overcoming the fear of being known of facing the deep, dark, chaotic places in your soul. It is not knowing about God. It is not mastering his principles, although those are good and important things. Ultimately, the secret, the key to overcoming fear in our life, it is the witness of the mightier one. It is knowing that God gets into the boat with us and he speaks to the storm. He covers us. He cleanses us. He forgives us if we will cry out. If we'll invite him. He doesn't force himself into the boat. Which is why I suspect he sent the disciples out without him. He created this scenario that, that the disciples who had been following him would learn something about their humanness, their finiteness, that they would come to the end of themselves. And just like God in the garden came walking through, calling out to his children, Jesus comes passing over the water. And in a moment, his disciples, they have a choice to make. And they cry out. Oh, they're terrified. But Jesus says, take heart, it is I. And he gets into the boat with them. And the storm ceases. And they get to the other side. As that's the life that, we're, that God offers us. When we come to the end of ourselves, we find that Jesus is there to get into the boat with us. Uh, a couple weekends ago, I was bragging about my rowboat to someone at church. And uh, he, he said, you know, I have, I have a little motor you can borrow if you'd like. And I said, yeah, that would be awesome. 
Here's a, here's a cheesy analogy for you. Okay, forget the oars. You want to get a motor on your boat. You want to get Jesus. You want to get the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, he says, when I leave, the helper will come. He will be with you and will live in you. And he will give you power to do everything that I've commanded you to do. He will give you the power that you need to be my sons and daughters, my disciples, those who are living the life that I've modeled for you. And when you come to the end of yourself, which will hopefully be sooner than later, because there's nothing worse than just like straining at the oars for like a decade of your life. That, that's called anxiety. It's called insecurity meets anxiety. It's, it's called like I don't want to live anymore because I can't bear up under the weight of thinking I'm supposed to be someone that I just cannot quite achieve. It will crush your soul. You'll become exhausted moving backwards against the current of life. But if and when we come to the end of ourselves and say, I I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. I've tried all of the principles. And you know what? It doesn't end with us just sort of like wiggling around as like a worm in the dirt. That's, that's, That's not it. That's some weird, that's that's sort of the other extreme, you know, the self-help version of Christianity. You got it, you're awesome, you can do whatever, da-da-da-da-da. The the other extreme is you're just a worm. And you don't have what it takes, and you never will, because that's just you're just dirt. That's a lie. The truth is, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And as I decrease, he increases. And I become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who loves me. I become as he is. Because his spirit is alive within me. He is the greater one who lives in me. The greater one who dwells within me. So you're not a worm and you're not all that. You are alive in Jesus Christ. The greater one lives inside of you. You got a motorboat on that little dinghy. Let's finish this. So verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Jesus calls you to give more than you've got. He tells you to go places that you will not want to go to. You will feel like, I, I don't, I just, I, w- I won't, I can't. And Jesus says, no, you will. He'll give us the choice to obey or to rebel. But he will ask us to give more than we've got. That is the lesson of the loaves. And I, for the life of me, I, I just can't figure out why they didn't connect the dots. Oh. That's my phone. Sorry. Thank you. When Jesus said, you feed them, the disciples were like, with what exactly? We've got five loaves and two fish. What are we supposed to do with that? And Jesus says, right, give it to me. Let me bless it. And with it, they fed the masses. This is the life of following Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus, he says, get in the boat. 
And he gives us everything that we need for life, for godliness, to be the blessing to this world around us. Not because we've just got everything we need. We've got all the answers. We've got all the money. We've got all the time. We've got all the love. We've got a little. Like a real little in the grand scheme of everything. Jesus says, give me what you've got. And together, we will get to the other side. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite the band to come up? Father, you're so good. You're faithful, you're kind, you're strong. We know that there's nothing in this world that, that we need to fear because truly you are the only one to fear. You have all of the power, all of the authority. And we're so grateful that instead of condemning us, you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. You used your power to save. So grateful. Thank you for including us in the work that you're doing, your kingdom work. Lord, you're you're shining light in dark places and in our own hearts and our city. And Lord, thank you for for including us, for inviting us to, to participate in your work. And thank you for giving us your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We know you're here theologically, but but we want more of you. We want we want hearts that aren't hard, but that are soft and that are receptive that we would find great joy in, in obeying you and following you and trusting you. Guys, as we just stay in this, this moment, this attitude of prayer, I wanna do something. I don't know if I've ever done this in, in the first two years of our little, little life as a church, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. And I wanna give you a chance to, um, to take a step this morning and put your faith in Jesus. I know how it is. It's easy to assume we're at a church. Everyone here is Christian. We're all good. We're all in the boat. And I know that's just so not true. People come here for all sorts of different reasons. And this morning, if you like to say, look, I've heard about the boat. I own a boat. Um, I know Bible stories and all of that. But I've never actually taken that step and said, Jesus, today I'm gonna die to myself and my agenda and and I'm not, I am not the answer to my deepest questions and struggles in life. You are and I wanna surrender to you this morning. 
I want you to get in the boat with me and lead the way. I want to submit my life to you. That's, that's how it begins. Maybe you did that once upon a time. And you're like, honestly, I, I, whatever happened then, it's not happening now. And if you want to invite Jesus to be the king of your life, I, wanna, I want you to just put your hand up like this. Never done this before, but I want to give you a chance. Anyone in this room want to make that decision this morning? Awesome. Awesome. All right, three of you that got your hands up. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. I think you probably know that there's nothing magical about a prayer or some words. It's what God is doing in your heart right now. And I'll pray these words and you can kind of just agree in your heart, ideally even just out of your own mouth. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to die for my sins. I confess that I need a savior. I need you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for suffering for me so that I can experience new life. So that I can come home. So that I can be embraced by you, my heavenly father. Be welcomed into your house, into your family. Amen. Now we celebrate. You're now listening to Grace City Portland.